Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, I'd like to talk about avatars. Avatars, uh, <laughs> if you've seen the movie Avatar, you may or may not know that uh, when I first heard the term, it was a Sanskrit word and it referred to individuals who were the incarnation of God, incarnation of the absolute ultimate deity. In the Hindu tradition, typically avatars are associated with the god Vishnu. Krishna, for example, was an incarnation of Vishnu. And I understand uh, today in India, there are uh, any number of people who whose followers believe that they are avatars, which typically would mean incarnations of Vishnu or incarnations of Krishna. Uh, one doesn't so much hear about incarnations of other deities, but why not? Now, of course, the great movie Avatar suggests a broader definition. That is, any time one person's consciousness is uh, occupying or taking over or possessing the body of uh, any other individual, well, that possessed individual becomes an avatar for the consciousness of the first person. So, <laughs> in video games, it's quite common now. You have a character on the screen. It could be anything whatsoever, and it's your avatar. You are the consciousness behind that character. Now, in my lifetime, I it was first exposed to the idea of the avatar as an undergraduate in college at the University of Wisconsin. As I recall, it was my junior year, maybe my senior year, when I took a course on uh, the religions of India. And at that time, I wrote a term paper on a fellow named Mayor Baba, who was viewed by his followers as an avatar. <laughs> and, and Mayor Baba was really, I, I think, a, a fellow who merited some praise. He was a guru. His teachings were pretty much standard Hindu teachings. When my professor graded my term paper back then, he pointed out how practically everything that Mayor Baba was saying was uh, quite consistent with mainstream uh, thought in Indian religion. Uh, but there were some intriguing things about him. One was that he took a vow of silence. So during his active years as the avatar, he never spoke. He only meditated. He was with people. Maybe he had a slate or sign language. He must have had a way to communicate with people. And another interesting thing he did is that he would sit and meditate with certain people. He called them the mad musts or the God-intoxicated individuals. These were people who were so devoted to God, they were completely intoxicated and with devotion and therefore uh, end up in mental institutions. They seem completely psychotic. But he had a way of sitting in meditation with them and getting through to them and helping them in, in some way along their path. So, I had very positive feelings about Mayor Baba in those days. Although I never met him, I was never in the presence of Mayor Baba, but uh, 
studying his works and uh, his life made me feel somewhat positive. It's didn't, it didn't seem like he was doing any harm. Now, another avatar actually did meet Franklin Jones, also known as Adida Samraj, and is regarded by his followers to this day as an avatar. He founded a religion, the Johannindaist Communion, and throughout his life, he has had many names. I think his first book, The Knee of Listening, was published under his birth name of Franklin Jones, and after that was Dalavananda and Adida and an Adida Samraj and uh, any number of names. And when he first came on the scene, he was known for what he called crazy wisdom. Now, crazy wisdom is a trait associated with a certain class of gurus. Chogyam Trungpa, the Tibetan Lama, would be one such. Uh, George Gurdjieff might be another. Timothy Leary, Aleister Crowley. Typically, the crazy wisdom gurus are the tantric gurus who are having sex with their followers. And Adi Samraj was one such individual. And you can imagine, he's formed a spiritual community around himself and written several books and many, many uh, acclaimed people in the field of uh, consciousness and spirituality are praising his books. Alan Watts, Larry Dossie, Ken Wilber have all written high praise for this man. In, in fact, they have a quote from me <laughs> as well. And here's what I said. I said, I think that the community around him is has formed a very penetrating social and spiritual experiment. And I think there's something for that. If you wanted to have a really intense experience with a spiritual master, he's your man. <laughs> I mean, he noticed, I think, early on when all of these people were adulating him like, you know, the incarnation of God, he noticed that many of his disciples, if he asked them honestly, they'd say, I'd love to have sex with you. Could, you know, have sex with God? Whoa! <laughs> so, he he obliged them. <laughs> And they went through a phase, they call it the garbage and the goddess phase, in which they engaged in all sorts of activity with drugs and alcohol and sex. And he lived with, I think at one time, maybe as many as nine wives. And uh, in addition to that, slept with the wives of many of his other devotees. I'm not aware that he had sex with any males, but I wouldn't be surprised if that were also the case. And then at some point in time, I think after a few lawsuits, uh, they ended that phase and he went back to maybe a more traditional spiritual community now, I did have the opportunity to uh, visit uh, their sanctuary in Northern California on one occasion when the master was there and I sat in his presence. I wanted to interview him. And in fact, they sent representatives specifically for the purpose of soliciting me to join their organization, to endorse what they were doing. And really, all I wanted was an interview. I'm not a joiner, really. 
<laughs> it's enough to be a secular Jew. But they told me he only speaks to devotees. He's never given a press interview, never even speaks to people outside the community. So when I was there, it was a ritual of some sort, and he was in a trance state, it seemed, of, of some sort. And then we left. And, and the people around him, you would have thought he was Elvis Presley, the way if he appeared uh, around a group of his devotees, they'd start screaming like teenage girls screaming after Elvis or the Beatles. And I thought it was fascinating, the power that he had over these people. To me, that's the really interesting thing. Uh, you know, based on all of the high praise his various books have received, you'd think the man was something of a spiritual genius. But when you look at the lawsuits, when you look at his life, when you look at the apparent nervous breakdowns he went through when it became clear that the whole world wasn't going to worship him as the great spiritual master of the age. You get a feeling that in spite of his enormous spiritual psychic attainments, and there are many uh, individuals I've spoken to who would testify to that, he was nevertheless something of a flawed individual, which doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I guess, while I consider myself a secular Jew, there's one thing from the Jewish tradition, well, many things, but one thing right now on my mind that's stuck with me, and that is the idea that humans are not God, <laughs> that humans can never be God, that humans uh, well, in the Jewish tradition, there, the greatest of all prophets, it is said, was Moses. And I think the Jewish religion took a, a wrong turn with Moses. But in spite of that, Moses is considered the greatest of all prophets. And it was said he was such a great prophet that before Moses died, he was given the vision of the face of God. He saw God's ponim, his face. And then he died, you see, because that's about as close as any human can get to God. You can see the face of God, but you won't be able to handle it. <laughs> it will blow out your nervous system, essentially. And that's it. You're out of here. I mean, Ted Owens, the PK man who I studied and who considered himself the uh, greatest of all psychics since Moses, <laughs> he said they searched for centuries and centuries to find someone with a nervous system strong enough to handle it. Well, he was, I would say, a very flawed individual. So, I'm accustomed to the idea that people can have great qualities, enormous spiritual attainments, and still be flawed human beings. And maybe not as advanced as some little munchkins who have no particular talents, but are good people. <laughs> now, I, let me say this about uh, Lavananda. 
And, and that is because I lived in San Rafael where he had a bookstore and where the church headquarters were located at one time. I did get to know a number of people who were part of that community. Some of them came to me in, in the days when I was a psychotherapist and, and were clients of, of mine and others came to try to recruit me. So, I've had some contact with him and I can say this, some of my closest colleagues and friends became devotees. Lee Sinella, the uh, ophthalmologist who wrote a very important book, Kundalini, Psychosis or Transcendence, became a devotee and lived in that spiritual community. And Russell Targ's wonderful daughter, Elizabeth Targ, about whom uh, Russell and I have created a separate video conversation. I'm linking to it right now. But Elizabeth, at the time of her death, was a devotee. So, you know, these are people I highly respect, very evolved individuals. And uh, they would tell me things like this. They would say, he meditates you. You don't have to meditate. You just go into your posture for meditation and then he will come and meditate you. So, I have no doubt that many of the people who interacted with him on many, many levels got something back of value. I was earlier reading a, a critique of him and they said it would be a great mistake to consider him just another phony guru even though he caused great harm and damage to some individuals who couldn't maybe handle the intensity of this penetrating social experiment. Well, what does this mean for you? Are there people in your life who are, at the one hand, very uplifting, people who awaken you to higher realities and at the same time are also somewhat destructive? How do you deal with that in your life? Have you ever encountered that or are you likely to ever encounter that? How would you encounter that? Can you avoid the charisma or the temptation of someone who has that kind of charisma and power? And I'll just close by asking one other question. Do you ever wonder what might happen if such an individual were to get into politics? An individual with that kind of personal power and charisma who, whose followers would worship them as God on earth. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Or do we even have any say? Well, those are all thoughts to consider. I'll leave you with those thoughts. And once again, thank you for being with me.